0: morning church family i am bob and i'm going to be reading our scripture verses today by now it's a very familiar passage of luke 15 through 32 hear god's word jesus continued there was a man who had two sons the younger one said to the father father give me my share of the estate so he divided his property between them Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring him the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied. Your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went, went out and pleaded with him. But he answered him, Father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You never gave me anything. You never gave me even a goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who squandered your property with prostitutes come home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate. And be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found.
1: Amen. Thank you very much, Bob. And good morning again to everybody. If you weren't here earlier uh, when I greeted you, I want to greet you now. I'm glad that you're uh, worshiping with us today at Greater Hope. Uh, today we are finishing up a, a five-week series looking at this parable called the prodigal son, very famous A parable that Jesus told, and you might be coming in this morning wondering, how in the world are we going to get one more sermon out of this thing? Uh, You've uh, drained it dry, I think. Well, uh, I do believe there is one more thing we got to talk about before we move on uh, to our Christmas series next week. Uh, We need to talk about the community aspect of the parable. Uh, To put it another way, I, I believe this morning we need to apply the story, we need to apply all the things we've been learning to our lives as the church. We need to ask, okay, now so what? Now what? Like, what are we as a church supposed to do in response to the things that Jesus is teaching here? And and I would argue that that's not foreign at all to Jesus' whole purpose in the parable. Uh, If you'll notice in the background of the story, not only do you have the, the character of the younger brother and the character of the older brother, which we spent a lot of time talking about both of those, and then last week we looked at the character of the father himself. Also, in the background of the parable, you have this Uh, these extras, if you will. You've got the servants, you've got the villagers, you've got all those people that join in the father's celebration whenever he celebrates his younger son's return home. A lot of people join in. In fact, it tells us there that the older brother heard it from a good ways away, all the music and the dancing. The father wasn't partying by himself. He had a whole community around him partying, and I want to show you today, that actually is Jesus teaching to us. That's that's an illustration of what Jesus teaches about how the church ought to operate. It's an illustration of what I believe God wants Greater Hope Church to be in Mulberry. The church, y'all, according to Jesus, is a celebration. (laughs) The church is supposed to be a celebration, a party if you want to use a different word, For sinners who have come back home to their heavenly Father. Now, I realize this morning you might be thinking, okay, well, that's not what I've experienced in church, I'll tell you that. I've experienced anything but a celebration or anything but a party. Well, this morning I want you to, even if that's you thinking that, I want you to at least listen this morning to Jesus' vision for what the church should be for what you and I are called to be uh, in this community as a community of faith within our wider community. And there are really two questions we've got to ask today, two things we're going to look at to try to tie up all the knots and apply everything we've, we've seen in the series. You can look at your worship bulletin and see those two questions. First of all, we want to see why the church is called to celebrate, why we're called to join in the party for sinners come back home. And then secondly, we're going to look at how we can do it. And there I want to get real specific Uh, It's going to get a little teachy probably in that section. I'm going to give you several things that I think greater hope needs to do in order to become a church like Jesus is describing in the parable, okay? So first of all, let's look at why in general, why, why is the church called to celebrate sinners returning home? And the answer to that in the parable is very simple, actually. The reason why the church is a celebration is because God himself is the one who is gathering it for that very purpose, That's the reason why God is gathering the church. I don't know if you know this, but the word church in the Bible or the words that mean church in the Bible simply mean those who are called out and gathered together. That's what church means. People who are called out from the world and gathered together for a specific purpose. Well, in the Bible, the one doing the calling is who? God. The one doing the gathering is who? God. The purpose for which he's gathering is being shown here. There's actually many different purposes of the church, but they all kind of spin around this one purpose like the spokes around the hub of a wheel. The reason why God is calling the church together is that they would be a community of joy and delight that God is seeking and saving the lost. God is saving sinners like you and like me. And so, if you look back in the story, the father you see doesn't just throw a party and then people happen to join in. No, the father is very intentional. The father of this story is calling other people to join in and he's making everything happen that's necessary for them to be a part. Look there again at verse 23 and 24 of the story. You'll see it. When the younger son comes home, the father says to his servants, Bring the fattened calf and kill it. In other words, get the meal ready. Let's have a feast and celebrate, he says. Notice who he's referring to. Let us have a feast and celebrate. The father is saying to his servants, don't just prepare a party for me to have fun. Don't just prepare a party for a few select people that are close to the landowner. No, let us all, my servants and all the villagers, everybody within the the influence of my land and of my business let them all come in and let them join the celebration of my younger son who has finally come back home. In fact, the the scripture says there in verse 24 and 25, that's exactly what happened. The servants and apparently many other people joined in because it says there in verse 24 that they began to celebrate. They all did. And then in verse 25, it said, when the older son was walking back home from the fields, way out there dealing with the father's business, He was still a ways off when he heard the music and he heard the dancing. He heard the feasting going on. What does that imply? This is a a great party with a lot of people involved and a lot of noise coming out of it. Now, the older son's response to that was completely messed up. It says, when he heard the music and dancing, he became angry in verse 28. And he refused to join the party. But notice what it says. The father is intentional about this. It says, so, in verse 28, so his father went out and pleaded with him. The old King James Version says, the older brother refused to go in, therefore, therefore the father went out and pleaded with him. What's he pleading with his son about? What does he want his older son to do? Nothing less than this. He wants him to drop his anger, to drop his refusal and come to the party. He wants him to join into the celebration. Now, you you might be thinking, why are you telling me all this? Well, remember the whole reason why Jesus is telling this story. Back in Luke 15, verses 1 and 2, it told you Jesus himself was the one who was throwing dinner parties for sinners and tax collectors. And it was the religious leaders, it says there in verse 2, the, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who were standing on the outside, refusing to go in, muttering against Jesus' activity. They were grumbling and complaining and angry that Jesus, someone who was supposed to be from God, was spending all his time partying with sinners. And it says there, Jesus told this parable to them. Jesus is teaching the religious leaders. He's teaching the teachers of the church, basically, how to organize the church. He's correcting them on all of their their mistakes. He's showing them that God has a design for the church, and it's not what y'all are doing. Y'all are sitting around debating, you know, obscure points from the Bible and human tradition, y'all are sitting around muttering at me. Meanwhile, God is behind me, and what is God doing? He's throwing a party and, and setting out a table and inviting sinners to come back home. And y'all are over there just scowling at it. And so Jesus, according to the parable, is trying to get them to see not only God's design, but how far they're falling short of that design as the leaders of God's community, so that they will turn like the older brothers, so that they will become... Like the older brother could become a repentant sinner just like the, older, like the younger brother. That they themselves and their hearts will turn back to the heart of the Father. Do you see it? God has a, a heart and a mind to celebrate the return of sinners. And he's not going to do it alone. That's why the church, y'all, is so important. The community of God, the called out ones who are gathered together, by God for God's purpose of joining in this community celebration for sinners come back because you cannot have a party alone isn't that right and you also cannot have a party if the people who are at the party really don't want a party have you ever been to a party like that where people there didn't really want to be there like a work party that you had to go to but you didn't want to go to wasn't that terrible (laughs) didn't you not want to ever go back to that kind of party again because it was just so lame what God is saying about the church, what Jesus is saying, the vision is this, that we would see how necessary the church is in order to really experience the full joy of salvation on the one hand. And on the other hand, once we have seen the necessity that we would come to church, not because we're forced to do it, not because, well, I got to be a part of this because I'm a believer in Jesus and that's just what believers in Jesus do and I'll just go do it. No, we should be coming to church excited to join the music and to join the dancing. To join the celebration of a father who loves to see sinners come back home. We know you can't party alone. We know you can't party with those who don't want to party. (laughs) We know how ridiculous that is. Uh, This week I I saw an article on WikiHow, that that little website where people can put out instructions how to do things. And there was actually an article, How to Have a Party by Yourself. And it was actually really funny. I I encourage you to go read it because it's got a lot of funny things in there. He says, find a room, you know, set out some food for yourself on the table, uh, cut some streamers out of paper, run them through the box fan (laughs) so that they fill the room, turn the music up loud and dance, 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 then go back to the fridge, get something to eat and rest, get back up and dance again. You know, it has all these step-by-step things of how to party by yourself. But at the very end, it says, by the way, warning, don't let anyone see you do this. Like, (laughs) close the blinds. Don't tell anybody after except maybe your closest friend. Because if you get caught doing this, everybody's going to condemn you, right? Nobody's going to think you're cool. And yet, I thought, as I read that, I thought, isn't that so true? We know you can't party by yourself. But yet, why do we think you can have a healthy spiritual life by yourself? Why do we think that? Why do we think that it can just be me and God, me and Jesus, and that's it? When everything in the Bible tells us that God's plan from the very beginning was not to save me just by myself and you just by yourself. God's plan from the beginning was to have a people for his own glory and for his own possession. To have a family, to have a community, according to this story, to have a family that parties and celebrates If that's the case, the church is absolutely necessary. If that's the case, coming to church ought to be a great joy. Ephesians chapter 3 says it very, very clearly. I love this verse in chapter 3, verse 10. God's intention through the church, it says there, his intention through the church is to show his manifold wisdom to the rulers and the authorities in heavenly places. What in the world does that mean? Basically this, God wants to wow the angels and God wants to wow even the demons by gathering together a people who find their greatest joy in him. And who know how to get together and express that joy and show that celebration off to the watching world. Who are out there seeking and saving those who are still lost and and alone and are wanting to bring them in. And when they come in, they're not wanting to give them the stiff arm, but they're wanting to welcome them into a feast already well prepared. To music already going on, to dancing already happening. That's what God wants to do with the church. It's not some small thing in God's plan. It's a big deal in God's plan. God is saving us in community. God is saving us to be a part of his body. I think a lot of us in the room know this by instinct, even if we don't believe it in our heads. Because if you're a Christian here and you've walked with Jesus any length of time, I think you'll, you'll recognize, like I do, that you probably never would have become a Christian had it not been for the community living out the goodness of the gospel in some way around you. There was some other Christian, there were some other groups of Christians that must have talked to you. Or even if they didn't talk to you, at least they walked it out before you. They showed you the goodness of what Christ really is. I mean, we need more than lectures, don't we, to come to Jesus? We need more than lectures to understand how good Jesus really is. It would be like me today saying, hey, y'all, I want to tell you how great my, th- my family Thanksgiving is. Let me just talk to you about how good it is, the food that we eat, the stuff that we do. I may even show you some pictures on the screen of all the wonderful things we had last year. And, and you might, you know, be interested in hearing about that, but you're probably going to leave the room thinking, that was weird, and I don't know that I really want to go to that, because what a weird thing. He didn't even invite us to come. He just told us about it. Now, the thing to do, if I want you to know how amazing my Thanksgiving at my family is, is to say, hey, come to Thanksgiving at my family. (laughs) And when you get there, you're going to see the feast. You're going to hear it. You're going to taste it. You're going to be involved in the activities that the family does. Y'all, that's what the church is. The church is the place where salvation is not just heard, salvation is seen. Whenever I was a kid and I came to faith in Christ, that was one of the key things that brought me there was I had people who not only told me about Jesus, but they showed me their lives was changed too. They told me my life could be changed. They prayed for me. They cared for me. They sacrificed in order to help me along in my spiritual life. I think that's the way it is for so many people. Listen to what a couple of writers say about this. This is really helpful to think about. One writer says, Most conversions to Christ, people becoming Christians, come after interactions with a whole lot of people. Uh, they, uh, those who are converted discuss the gospel with friends. They hear numerous sermons, both live and online. They usually read articles on the web, but they also go to small group Bible studies. They hear total strangers' testimonies at meetings, and they listen to podcasts. You see, when people become Christians, it's because they hear a whole chorus of voices singing different parts of the same song. That's what the church is supposed to be. People ought to look at the church and hear the music and hear the dancing of the song of salvation. Another writer says, when the church doesn't just talk about the gospel, but actually lives it out before the external world, the world around us will see the lights, he says, and hear the music, and they will repent, and they will come to the party. I wonder this morning, is that the way you see the church? Is that the way you've experienced the church? I think many of you might say, yeah, of course, that that is what I've experienced. I tasted and saw that the Lord was good by being a part of the community that God was gathering. But I also realize that many of you here might say, no, that's not how I came, or I have never experienced that. I've only had bitter and bad experiences in church, and to that I would say, absolutely, I've also had bitter and bad experiences too, so I, I sympathize with that. I think the main question, though, this morning as we think about this is not, will you trust me? Will you trust a man? Will you trust a woman? Will you trust a group of men or women? That's not the a question for you. The question for all of us is, will we trust Jesus? Will we trust his vision for what the community that he came into the world to buy at the cost of his own blood is supposed to be? Will we trust that Jesus knows what he's doing? He knows what he's talking about when he looks at religious leaders and he says, look, you're getting it all wrong. God called you to himself, not so that you would grumble and scowl and judge and berate. God called you to himself so that you would celebrate so that you would join the party. That's the first point. Perfect bell time, timing for the bell. Second point this morning is how can we do this? How can we in the church become a community that celebrates in the way that Jesus wants us to celebrate? I think the answer, again, is very simple, but I want to give you some ways of fleshing this out, ways of seeing it uh, more concretely. The simple answer is this. We become a celebrating community when We live out towards others the same grace we've received from God. We become a celebrating community when we live out towards others, people in our neighborhoods, people at our work, at our school, in our city. We live out towards them the same kind of grace that has been shown to us by God. That's actually the very reason why Jesus is using this parable to instruct religious leaders who had become hard-hearted and self-righteous against God. Remember, we talked about this a few weeks ago. The religious leaders that Jesus is talking to are illustrated by the older brother in the story. The older brother also was muttering because the father would celebrate the younger son. The older brother was also self-righteous. He believed he had earned his place in the family and the younger brother hadn't. Therefore, what gives the younger brother the right to think he's in? What gives the father the right to celebrate the younger brother being in? He was self-righteous. Well, so were the, the religious leaders. They were refusing to join Jesus' party when he was having dinner parties with sinners. they were doing it for the very same reason and so this parable is is just like the father's plea to the elder son it's like jesus is going out and pleading with the religious leaders of his day stop being self-righteous and recognize this one very important fact you need the grace of god too you need the grace of god just as much as the sinners and tax collectors that i'm eating with that you hate so much You need God's grace no less than they do. In fact, without God's grace, your sin, your sin of self-righteousness, will eventually do you in for good. You need to have grace. And if they were to understand that, and y'all, if we were to understand that, if churches were to have enough people at the core of their membership who would really understand not only is grace something that they need, it's something that I need. It's not just something that I needed, right? This is not a story about how you needed Jesus one time in your life. This is a story about how you need grace this morning. About how you need Jesus right now more than you've ever needed him in your life. No matter how long you've been with him, no matter how long you've walked with the Lord, you too are someone who needs grace and without grace you have no hope in the world. Do you know something? Those who actually experience something like that, something like a rescue by grace, are the ones who are the best at celebrating it for other people. Uh, The past few years, I've gone out to the Relay for Life. Some of y'all have been involved in Relay for Life. And we have, you know, we have one here in Mulberry. It usually meets out here at the high school. I think it recently has moved to another park. But it's been going on for years. And it's this all-night walk where everyone walks around the track and there's a party going on in order to raise money for cancer, for cancer research, for cancer recovery, and things like that. I'm always struck every year when I get there that they do two things that help me think about the church out there. First of all, before we start the walk, they have some survivors come up and give their stories. People who have actually had cancer and survived it. They get up there and they tell their story from beginning in, how they got their diagnosis, how they felt. Uh, the, the process of the treatment, where it ended up in the end, and everybody gets to cry and celebrate and clap. And then after you hear the survivor stories, they have what's called the survivor's lap. Have you ever seen this at the Relay for Life? Before everybody else starts lapping that thing, you know, before everybody else starts going around the track, only cancer survivors take one lap. Everybody else just stands by and cheers them. Here's what I've always noticed. Nobody is more excited to be out there there than those who are taking the survivor's lap. Nobody is more enthusiastic about the party than the ones who actually have the survivor's story. I want to tell you something. It's very possible to be a part of church for a long time and to forget that at the heart, basically, you're just a survivor by God's grace. That you also had the terminal illness of sin. That, that terminal illness of sin may have taken many different forms. Maybe it didn't take the form of the person you look down on so much, but it had a form, and it was just as terminal. It would have taken you down too. When people in church start to wake up to the fact, I'm a survivor, I need grace, here's my survivor's story, guess what, they also start taking the survivor's lap. <laughs> They start taking the walk of the survivor out into their everyday lives. When that happens, when enough people in a church really get a hold of that, that church then becomes the celebrating church that welcomes sinners in. That becomes the place where people find there's a refuge for me, no matter what I've done in my past, no matter who I am at the moment, no matter what my fears for the future. This is a place that is a refuge for me. How do I know that? Because look at those people. They're just a bunch of sinners. They're just a bunch of sinners who have survived by nothing but the grace of God. Now, let me give you, let me give you this morning, and this is the part where you might want to have a pencil or pen. This is where I'm going to get teachy a little bit. Not that I'm going to stop preaching, but there's a little teaching going on right now. I want to give you five ways, five ways that I think Greater Hope Church needs to, be, to take on the survivor story and to take the survivor walk through the community of Mulberry, in order to be that kind of celebrating church. Five ways, and I'll give them to you as quickly as I can, but I'll try to explain each one uh, as we go through. Uh, Those who have a survivor story, first of all, they grasp the deeper joy of the Christian life. That's the first thing. They grasp the deeper joy of the Christian life. You see, so many people out in the community, out in the world, who aren't Christians, who don't believe, They think, okay, I know what Christianity is. It's keeping rules, it's behavior, it's becoming a better person, it's doing your duty for God, right? That's what so many people think it is. And actually, a lot of people in church basically operate as if that's true too, as if there were nothing more to it than simply the modification of our behaviors. Well, here's what a true survivor knows someone who knows, I needed grace too. God came to me in my terminal illness and set me free. They know there is a deeper joy to being a Christian, and that joy is having a face-to-face relationship with God. That's a lot better than just keeping some rules, right? That's better than just becoming a law-abiding citizen. That's better than just being you know, transformed into a, like an older brother who does his duty, he does what his father tells him to do, but he does it with gritted teeth. You see, in the story, the older brother and the younger brother both discounted how valuable it was to have a personal face-to-face, shoulder-to-shoulder relationship with their dad. They didn't see how much the father wanted simply their presence with him, how much he wanted simply to know them as people, and he wanted them to know him. The same thing is true according to Jesus in the Christian life. The true joy, the true treasure is not found in just simply doing your religious stuff and checking it off one by one, week by week. I'm not saying, don't hear me wrong, I'm not saying rules don't exist and that they're not important. What I'm saying is even those rules are meant to lead you to the greater thing. Which is that though you were lost, though you had wandered far from the heart of God, now Jesus has brought you back to his heart. Back to the place where you know him. That's the first thing, that we grasp the deeper joy of the Christian life. The second thing we need to do if we're going to have a survivor story is we got to talk about our own sin and not just the sins of others. We got to be a church that talks about our own sin and not just the sins of others. I mean, that is what the religious leaders were doing, right? They were not talking at all about their own sins. In fact, they didn't think they really had many to talk about. But those sinners and tax collectors that Jesus was hanging out with, oh boy, they had their lists out. Here's all the ways that you've been wrong. Here's all the reasons why you should go to hell. Here's all the reasons why you don't deserve the love of God. That's the way they were doing, exactly like the older brother. The older brother doesn't understand the hardness of his own heart. He's not willing to talk about that. He's not willing to say that too is a deep sin that causes great pain and even death. Instead, all he wants to do is talk about and even exaggerate the sins of his younger brother. And y'all, isn't it true that the church is so good at talking against younger brother-ish sins? We're really good at talking about how drugs are bad, you know? Warped sexuality, perverted sexuality, bad. Murder, bad. All those kinds of things, terrible, terrible. We're not so good, though, at talking about how bad self-righteousness is. If you're a younger brotherish person, a lot of times you'll hear an earful in the church about how you need to repent and come to Jesus. And amen, you do. You need to repent and come to Jesus. But when are we going to talk about how the older brotherish ones among us need to repent and come to Jesus? That needs to be just as loud as the other. Do you see what I'm saying? You can't downplay one and upplay the other. You've got to have them both at equal volume. I would say probably you actually, like Jesus did, you need to have the, the speeches against self-righteousness even louder than the speeches against younger brotherishness. Why? Because this one right here usually doesn't get you kicked out of church. A lot of times they'll make you the pastor if you're older brotherish. <laughs> It'll gain you influence. because Why? Because on the outside you look great. On the outside, man, you look exactly like what God wants. While on the inside, your heart is miles and miles and miles away from the Father. So we've got to grasp the deeper joy of the Christian life. We've got to talk about our own sin and not just the sins of others. We also need to be a church, thirdly, that serves others in love and doesn't just seek to please ourselves. We need to serve others in love and not just please ourselves. When the older brother came to his dad, he was angry. And why was he angry? He said it. You never gave me a fattened calf to party with my friends. In fact, you never even gave me a young goat. You haven't given me, you haven't given me anything that I've deserved. What is he doing? He's coming to his father with the mentality of, I'm not pleased and, and I should be pleased. I'm not satisfied and I should be satisfied. That's what this whole thing is about in his mind. Self-pleasure, self-satisfaction. What is Jesus calling us back into? Away from that and into serving others. Laying our lives down, using what we have been given to help other people experience joy rather than complaining about what we have not been given from our perspective. And, y'all, I think there's a really important word for us as a church in this, for the church, really, in the entire world. We live in such a consumeristic society, don't we? consumeristic. What do you mean by that? I mean, everywhere we go, we think about what do I need? What do I want? How can I get it? How can I buy it? How can I experience it? We get really upset when we don't get what we want. We complain to the, to the server who didn't give us the food exactly like we wanted it and exactly the time we wanted it. We go around all the time, very consumeristic. Unfortunately, we bring that into the church too. And a great majority of people in a lot of churches Come to church basically thinking, and I've come to church thinking this, what can I get out of it? How can I be pleased? Will it meet up to my specifications? Will it lead up to my expectations? Rather than coming to church like a survivor. With the survivor's story and the survivor's walk saying, what gifts has God given me that I can give to the wider church so that other people might experience the joy of God's salvation like I experience? Survivors, y'all, serve others in love, and they don't just please themselves. And then fourthly today, uh, survivors share Jesus' heart for the least of these and for the lost. They share Jesus' heart, which is the Father's heart, for those who are, who are considered least and those who are considered lost. The older brother in the story did not give a rip about his younger brother. He had worked it out in his mind. My younger brother has forfeited the right to be treated well. He's forfeited the right to be loved and blessed. And so in his mind, he had internalized that. And he would said, you know what? I'm not going to give a rip about him. I'm not going to think he is owed or deserves anything except a good punishment. Except to be cast out of the family. And y'all, unfortunately, in the church, when we don't have a true survivor's heart, when we think we're here because, well, we're some of the good guys in society, What ends up happening is we get into an us-versus-them mentality. Those who are outside of the church walls, especially those that society considers less than or least, become the other. We don't need to worry about them. We don't need to think about them. What matters is what we need for us in here, because these are the good guys in this room right here. Churches can get there, can't they? (laughs) Churches can be that. And that becomes terribly ugly. That's older brother-ish mentality. And so when Jesus tells this story to the religious leaders, what he's saying is you cannot forget the heart of your heavenly father for those who are the smallest, for those who are outcasts, for those who don't have any hope in this world, for those who are wandering around not knowing where they're going in life. The church needs a a critical mass of people at the heart. They, They need enough people at the heart of the church who make it their mission not to just be insiders caring for what's going on inside, but looking outside, always on the move. Who can we seek? Who can we introduce to God? Who can we say, come and see the joy that the Father has laid out through His Son, Jesus Christ? Those who have a survivor story share Jesus' heart for the least and the lost. And fifthly and finally, Those who are survivors work to remove obstacles. They work to remove obstacles that are in the way of other people trying to join in. One writer says it this way, and I'm just paraphrasing. He says that sometimes churches get their cultural preferences in the way of the gospel. They get their personal little agendas, like what do we want to achieve as a church so that we look good? That gets in the way of the gospel so that, this writer says, we end up building such high walls around the church that even if there is a party going on inside, nobody can see it, let alone get in. That was what the older brother was doing. The older brother refused to go into the party. He was trying to get the party to stop. That's what he wanted to do. He wanted the party to stop. He did not want the younger brother to be welcomed back in. He didn't want that at all. If we're going to be a church of celebration, we've got to ask ourselves really deep questions. Where are we building walls that are unnecessary? According to the gospel, there's only one thing that separates people from the family of God, and that is sin. That's the only thing that separates them. And guess what? Jesus has torn down the wall in sin for all who will ever believe. What does that mean? That means it doesn't matter if they look like you. It doesn't matter if they're from the same, you know, socioeconomic class as you. It doesn't matter whether they have the same education level as you. It doesn't matter whether they speak the same language as you, whether they have the same earthly citizenship as you. None of that matters. The only thing that matters is did Jesus Christ by faith alone tear down the wall of sin between them and God? And if he did, they're in the party. And so the church ought to have low walls, (laughs) low walls, so that everybody can clearly see and hear the solution that the gospel gives to the only thing that separates us between separates us from our Father in heaven, sin itself. Does that make sense? Do y'all want to be a church like this? (laughs) I know you do. I know many of you do, and I know I do. I pray every day that God would make us this kind of surviving church. Well, if that's the case, what do we got to do? Everybody in here needs a survivor story. That's the first thing. And I realize there may be some, somebody in here, there may be some people in here who don't yet have that survivor story. You, you've been religious maybe, maybe you've been okay with Jesus and are not opposed to him, but have you ever repented from your sins and placed your faith in Christ alone for your salvation? That's what gets you that survivor story. And then those of us who do have a survivor story, we got to start walking that out. We got to take the survivor lap. We got to start living like people who are only sinners saved by grace. We got to grasp the deeper joy of the life of Christ. We got to serve others and not displease ourselves. We got to to talk about our own sin and not just the sin of others. We got to share Jesus' heart for the lost. We got to remove obstacles, tear down walls in the way of other people joining in. Y'all, there's a great example of this in the Bible. And that example is Paul, the apostle. The apostle Paul was a grumbling, muttering Pharisee when Jesus met him. Did you know that? He was one of, I mean, he was one of those guys who was muttering about what Jesus was doing. He hated Jesus so much that he killed Christians because of his hatred. And yet when he met Jesus, he got a survivor story. The way he describes it later is, man, it must have been that God just loved me before I was born because I have no other way of describing why he would have come to me and saved me. It must have been he loved me before I was even born. His love preceded my love by miles I never would have got in. And when he got a survivor story, he began to lead the church towards becoming a celebration of sinners come home. Listen to how he describes it. And I'll leave you with this. First Corinthians 10, starting in verse 31. This is what Paul says a celebrating church looks like. Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble. Don't put obstacles in people's way of being saved whether they're Jews or Greeks or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. That's a celebrating church. Let's pray and ask God to make us that Father, we thank you so much for mercy, grace, Lord. I want to thank you as someone who's been a church person most all of my life. I want to thank you that you even saved church people. Church sinners, Lord, who are full of self-righteousness and a hard heart against you and against others. Thank you for how you showed grace to me when I did not deserve it. How you called me to yourself and in calling me you weren't just calling me but you were calling me into a community like this this morning you were calling me into your church father would you please make our church a place of low walls and loud music for the party a place of low walls and joyful dancing in the party low walls and a feast well set and spread out for all to come So that people in Mulberry, men, women, boys, girls, the people we work with, the people we live by, the people we go to school with, so that all the people in our community, and as our community grows and more people are moving in, let them also join in to the party that you are throwing because sinners get to come back home through Jesus Christ. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.